Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 101. Y'all are the best creepsters ever. Our P.O. box was full of letters and goodies like chocolate. Hello. The way to our hearts. Some of the best homemade cards. Oh my goodness. Glitter galore. That is my love language. Well, doesn't that just sound like your alter ego? Glitter galore? Mm-hmm. Or a Bond girl. What's that pussy galore? Uh, yeah. In my, head, <laughs> in my head, I was thinking, yeah, Juicy Couture. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Well, nope. It is juicy. <laughs> so thank you all so much for celebrating with us. And thank you, Mama Lips. They put all of that together and... We did not know about it, and one, I was, like, low-key really worried. I was like, Carrie, I don't think we knew that 100 episodes was really special, because we had a lot of cards that said congratulations on it. Well, we knew it was special, Avi. Yeah. But, like, we were low-key, like, did we make a big enough deal about it? Yeah, like, we just had a long episode, which hopefully y'all sat through. You could have walked through, ran through, jogged through, hiked through, biked through, slept through, bathed through. Who the fuck are they, Sam I Am? If you're not in our Facebook group, you missed an amazing game where you learned too much about me and Carrie. So it was like the newlywed game, but it was thank you for being a ghoul friend. And I would just like to say, Donna may say that I don't know her at all. And I forget shit, but um, I know her better than she knows me. No. I had all of your answers correct. Uh-uh. Maybe two. The first two you definitely did not have. And then the other ten? Uh, one we had talked about the night before. Still got it right. Also, I had a lot of them correct on you. Go back and roll that beautiful bean footage. Also, I had to tell her some of her shit that was like, no, this is what you always say. And she was like, ah. But also, you missed another good thing in our Facebook group, because Will, Tiffany, Maya, Creep Mom, and Morgan, they all put together this compilation of all of our best question mark moments. But you know what I think? This may not be, like, how they intended it to go, because I don't know how they picked the clips, other than the fact that it started with, oi, a clip from the very first episode. Oh. Oh my goodness. Hello, Echoey Tunnel. And it ended with a clip from the 100th episode. But the clips that they picked to go in the middle, to me, one showcased your fucking one-liners, which are the best. Me. But also, I think a lot of times they showcased how well we do know each other. Yeah. Like, it would be like us finishing like the most random sentences. <laughs> or when you knew that I was talking about Ted Bundy when I said <laughs> the guy from the thing with the hair with the face. Or whatever yeah. it was I said. And you're like, Ted Bundy? And I'm like, yes! <laughs> you know? And so, it's, yeah. I, I loved it. And I laughed out loud. And it also made me tear up a little bit. Me too. And it was amazing. So, thank y'all so much for putting that together. And if whoever helped them, if we missed anybody, thank you all for sending in the things and sharing the love and showing us love and we appreciate it so much we really do thank you thank you thank you you know who else we appreciate molly b from oklahoma Mm -hmm. aisa d from arizona karen h from texas 
Alyssa W. from Pennsylvania. Tierra M. from Oregon. Oregon. (laughs) If y'all could have seen my face. (laughs) And Jeremy V. from Pennsylvania. And shout out to Erica, who is Jeremy's fiance, who signed him up without him knowing as happy Valentine's to you. Right? Couple goals. Meanwhile, he had never listened to a podcast. Before us. We popped his cherry. Weird. That's weird. Nope. I totally put that in the note card. (laughs) (laughs) I said, Jeremy, thanks for letting us pop your podcast cherry. (laughs) And I was like, you didn't think we would say that? Of course we did. (laughs) And now we did for everyone to hear. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) If you want one of these episode shout outs, or any of the bonus content that all of these people are getting, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, my story this week, when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, right. Like, I, you know how sometimes with prolific serial killers, they, they put their kills like, they killed 5,000 people. And like, it's like, no, they really killed like five. You know? H.H. Holmes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so for this one, I was like, no, there's no fucking way. But is there? Dun, dun, dun. So this is a story. Of a lovely lady. Okay, I went with all about how my life got flipped turned upside down. Oh, I'm in the mood for love simply because you're near me. Okay. Well, this serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Pedro Alonzo Lopez. Well, given that Pedro was such a prolific serial killer, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know who he was. Me either. Why am I so cheerful? But also, you're not the true crime person. I feel like, sometimes I feel like, is this really my job? (laughs) Like, why do I suck at this so bad sometimes? Meanwhile, I could have known everything about him and have already forgotten. Very true. But I don't do a lot of serial killer stuff. I like... You like one-offs, like mm-hmm. lost it and did something. I think you're going to like this story, though. Ooh, intrigued. I got a lot of information about this story from this website called True Crime Database. I was like, what is this thing? How have I never heard of this? And of course, Murderpedia. Pedro was born in 1948, and he was born in and is from Colombia. His childhood was fucking horrible. For lack of a better, it's fucking horrible. He was the seventh of 13 kids. 13 kids? Which I feel like wasn't that uncommon. No, but... In the late 40s, especially in Colombia. Oh, for sure. But 13? Mm Mm-hmm. At the time, there was a lot of civil unrest in Colombia. There was a civil war that had started because... One of the leaders was assassinated. There was just a ton going on. And Pedro's dad was part of the conservative party that, from what I understand, I was not the history major, was like who was trying to overthrow the current regime, basically. So his dad died when he was really young. And from what I understand from the articles that I read, it had to do with his political connections. Well, his dad was married. But his dad was not married to Pedro's mom. Pedro's mom was a sex worker. And it's said that they were very impoverished. 
when his mom would bring home her clients, question mark, they basically were in like a one room place. And so a blanket was hung up with all the kids on one side while she was entertaining her gentleman caller on the other side of the blanket. 13 kids. Listening to their mother have sex for money. 13 kids. I. Why is that the part that you're hung up on? No, that 13 kids in a one-room place, they had to be piled up on each other to be even parted with a cover. Mm-hmm. So even, like, yeah, that's terrible that they had to listen to that. But even if, like, they could go to sleep or, like, I don't know what she did or whatever. But they couldn't be comfortable. I still feel like you're focusing on. I'm focusing on comfort. Okay. Not the area that you should be focusing on. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like people touching me that much. He had to listen to his mother have sex for money. Listening to your mother having sex, period, is terrible. Yes, it would be. Well, obviously, you know that fucks a kid up. Oh, for sure. Like, even if a kid had zero issues at all, that would fuck them up and create issues with sex and what is pleasurable. And Yeah. I mean, I bet half of those damn kids are into, like, masturbation with someone watching them or listening. or You know what I mean? You know that that created some weird fetishes among those kids. Yeah. It's just so interesting how the things that happen in childhood that are related to sex and even things that you wouldn't think were related to sex, how it impacts someone's fetishes and all of that as an adult tied to sex. For example, when I was in school, I had to do one of my rotations at the Tampa Bay Crisis Center. I was talking to one of the licensed social workers who is also a counselor there. And we were talking about some of the different types of abuse of the kids that she's seen and, you know, how that impacts their mental health, yada, yada, yada. And she was actually saying that, you know, she's seen a lot of cases where when kids were younger, potty training still or maybe a bedwetter having accidents, that kind of thing, when they would get physically abused for bladder or bowel incontinence. Sometimes as an adult, that translates into a sexual fetish with urine and bowel movements. Isn't that crazy, though, how like a trauma as a child translates into a sexual fantasy as an adult? Yeah, sorry. I was trying like I was in my head thinking about it. Well, that kind of is what happened to Pedro. You know, I think that His mother was very overbearing, and they say, you know, dominated with an ironclad fist and all that. So she was very domineering, very, very much a disciplinarian. But then there was also this side of where the kids were, again, separated by this blanket and had to hear her work as a sex worker. And so for a kid like Pedro, who already had some mental health issues, it created this monster. It was one of the pieces of the puzzle creating this monster. When Pedro was eight, his mom caught him molesting his sister. Oh, no. When his mom caught him, she kicked him out of the house. He was eight. He was eight. So Pedro is now an eight-year-old 
living on the streets in Colombia with all of this unrest. And it actually was not that uncommon for kids to live on the street and fend for themselves and form gangs to protect each other and all of that. And so that's what he did. When Pedro was living on the streets, he was approached by this older man that was like, look, you're hungry. Come with me. I'll give you some food. I'll give you a place to take a shower, get some rest. You need to eat. Pedro trusted him and went with him. I don't feel good about this. Well, you shouldn't because the guy decided to, instead of actually taking him and giving him food and somewhere to sleep, he took him to an abandoned building and repeatedly raped him. What a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. He's like the parasite that eats on the piece of shit. After that, Pedro becomes terrified of strangers. He's sleeping in alleys, abandoned buildings, digging in dumpsters for food. But eventually, this older couple, who was American, found him and was like, look, come with us. We're going to give you a place to live, some food. And he was like, I mean, maybe, I don't know what he was thinking, but I'm assuming he's thinking, even if they hurt me, I could still get food and a place to sleep. Yeah. So he went with them and they took him home, fed him and gave him a place to stay and then actually put him in this school for orphans. And so things were looking up for him. At this point, he's 12, so he'd been on the streets for four years, and he's going to this school, feeling pretty good, until a teacher at that school raped him. I swear, people fucking pieces of shit like that have this innate ability to pick the most vulnerable children. Yeah, The children who have been through it before, who are, I can't say it any differently than to say the most vulnerable children. Yeah. Like they're already broken. He just shattered him more. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is that what did Pedro do? He stole money from the office and took off running and ran away from that because he ran back to the only thing that he knew that was safe. And that was the streets. Wasn't his mother. You know, yeah, he was he was hurt on the streets, but he at least knew how to protect himself now on the streets. Yeah. It's like right when he started building up and going to school and doing all the things, boom, somebody knocks him back down. So while Pedro is a despicable human being, just this beginning stuff, you're like, I mean, did he stand a chance? I mean, yes, because everyone has a choice. True, 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 true. You're, you're so right. It helps us remember that he is human and... His life was almost like the perfect storm. Yeah. You had the mental illness aspect of it, that he's a sociopath, psychopath, whatever other personality disorder, whatever he had. You have that coupled with the traumatic childhood, especially in those formative years of his mother and then the multiple sexual assaults It just, it's the perfect storm. Yeah. I can't, of course, I can't remember which one, but I can't remember what killer it was that I did. But it was like, one of them said they tried to do good, but it was like at one point after they had been 
beaten or raped or something that one last time and they were like, I'm done. And I'm giving in to my urges. I'm giving in to everybody else's shitty. I'm done trying. And I feel like that's kind of what happens with Pedro. Mm-hmm. So he's living on the streets. He's in his teen years now. He's still in cars, taking him chop shops, that kind of thing to make money. But when he was 18, he was arrested for stealing cars and sentenced to three years in jail in Colombia. While he was in prison, he was gang raped. Oh, my goodness. There's some conflicting information as to how many people actually raped him. Some things say four people. Some things only say two. I'm not, some things even say three. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how many people it was. But after it happened, he was like, no one's ever going to do this to me again, ever. And so he vowed that he was going to kill the people who had raped him in prison. And so he fashioned a shank, basically, and not a, a, a more of a knife than like a stabby knife, you know, more of like because he wanted to slip their throats. Yeah, more of, a, more of a slash, not a stab. Yeah. So he did. He murdered the men who had raped him in prison. Again, some stuff says four people, some three, some two. Either way, it was seen as self-defense in the prison. And so he only got an extra two years. I mean, I agree with that. Oh, well, yes and no. I think if it had happened, like, immediately, it would be self-defense. But, no, he, like, plotted. I mean, it, I mean, it's first-degree murder. I mean, he plotted a... It, he he was his own vigilante. Yes. It's still murder. Yes, it is. But, like, the two years, I'd be like, yeah, that's good for him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, also, you have to be strategic in jail then. You know what I mean? Because yeah. no telling how long that they plotted to get him where they got him. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying, like, don't fucking rape people. Don't kill people either. He served his time in jail. After all of that debacle and started traveling through Peru because Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia are kind of in a line. They're all very close together. Like it's, it's almost like traveling through like three states, you know, here it's very close. So he starts traveling through Peru and this next part, I'm going to say, I'm not sure how true this is. I saw it in a couple of places, but then a couple of articles made it sound like it was hearsay, but some articles presented it like, no, this actually happened. Not sure. So while he's in Peru, he's in the, the North Peruvian community is what it was called in the article on True Crime Database. Pedro found this nine-year-old girl that he was interested, question mark, in, and he wanted to kidnap her. Now, you can't kill people who rape you. And then go do the same thing to someone who is... That's classic. No, I know. Like, I get it. But I'm just saying... Fuck you. Yes, it takes away everything I just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That North Peruvian community that he was in was home to the Ayacucho's Indians. And when they busted him about to abduct this little girl... They followed their tribal laws as to how to punish him. And so what they did was they buried him alive 
but they left his head above the soil. Did they put something and made the ants eat him? Yes. Oh, yes. Some stuff said honey. Some stuff said syrup. Syrup, if you're Donna. I say syrup. You say syrup. Fuck if I know. It's all good. Because every time we have syrup, we have this conversation. Because she says syrup, and I say syrup, and she makes fun of me. And now she doesn't even know which way she says it. All I know is I like it in the refrigerator. And I like it in the pantry. Which is why I have two bottles of it in my house. (laughs) Unless I'm at IHOP or Cracker Barrel. Then I like their warm one. Well, before they did all this, there was this American Christian missionary... It was like, wait, 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 wait. Of course. Let's not do that. Look, let's just take him to the authorities. No. And so they were like, fine. So they take Pedro to the Peruvian authorities, to the police. And the police say, okay, well, we're just going to fucking deport him back to Colombia We don't want to deal with him. They take him across the border to Colombia, and the Colombian police are like, meh, okay, bye. Yeah. You know, because, I mean. Didn't happen here. Yeah. Well, and as far as they know, it was like an attempted abduction. Right. I mean, you trying to steal a kid, there's bigger shit going on, but prove it kind of thing. Yeah. So, they were just like, boy, bye. Well, and especially since we know how indigenous people have been treated in history and now, mm-hmm. like, they're they're not going to care. They're going to be like, oh, okay, sure. Go back to your tribe. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they're not going to care. You should have doused them with the syrup when you had a chance. Yeah. The next year, so we're, we're moving forward just a year, to 1979, there was a huge flood from the river in Umbato, Ecuador. And because of the flood, four different bodies of little girls became exposed. (gasps) Oh my God. You know what I'm thinking? What? Just like in Fried Green Tomatoes, Frank Bennett's vehicle got exposed. Mm -hmm. I know not the same as bodies. I know. But that's what I'm like the picture. Yeah. So the police do some investigating and these four bodies had been buried in some pretty shallow graves, which is why it didn't take much from this flood to wash basically the topsoil and expose their bodies. Were they all nine years old? Well, these bodies, they figured out that some of them died by strangulation and had been strangled with so much force that their eyeballs popped out. What? Uh Uh-huh. Well... That was three of the four bodies they found. The fourth body had died with her face fixed in this eyes open look of terror, like frozen on her face. That's the face she was making when she died. Oh, my gosh. Well, if he's so strong, why didn't he bury him deeper? Beats the fuck out of me. Well, those four little girls that they found the bodies for were not the only girls in the area to go missing. So everybody's on high alert. The police aren't really doing much, but there's all of these girls going missing. And the police basically are saying things like, they probably were kidnapped and sold into like as a sex slave. 
like human trafficking stuff. And again, this is in like 1979, you know? I mean, yes, human trafficking was a thing. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's not. But, I mean, it's not like human trafficking. They sold, you know, like it would be now. Yeah, it's they shouldn't be blasé about it ever. Right. Now, then, anytime. Yes. Then, some of them even had the motherfucking balls to say that, well, they probably failed a test in school, so they ran away. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. That's not how that works. What kid runs away for failing a school year or, you know, or a test or anything like that? Like, I mean, in the history of kids failing things, okay, maybe somebody did. But I'm just saying, like, when you have, the, you know, all of these kids coming up missing, you have found four bodies, like, shit's going down. Yeah, it's an epidemic. It's not... If finals didn't roll around and all these kids decide to leave. Right. And if it's one of these kids, they're not going to be able to force themselves to have their eyes pop out. You know, like, yeah, mm, no. And don't say they had the balls to say that because those people don't have balls at all. They got donkey balls for brains. That's what they got. Okay. Well, why do we got to bring the donkeys into this? (laughs) Because they jackasses. (laughs) That was a good one. That was good. We did that good, and we didn't even plan that. (laughs) Well, the timeline on the next part, some stuff says this happened in March. Some stuff says it happened in April. But in early of 1980, picture the marketplace in Umbato, which, again, is in Ecuador. And so picture, like, the people are selling their goods. They're making food, selling food, things that they've made. You know, it's just like the hustle and bustle of, like, a market. Look, I know this isn't where it is, but I'm picturing Aladdin. Yes, I was picturing the French market in New Orleans. Also that, but picturing Aladdin. But yes, in the market, there was a vendor. Her name was Carlina Ramon. And Carlina was selling food that she made. And so she had her little pots and pans and she's stirring things. And her daughter is with her and her daughter's 11. She's got her pots and pans. She's making things and her daughter's with her and her daughter is 11. So, very close to the ages of the girls who have been going missing, because they're between, like, 9 and 12. Well, she notices this guy walking around the market all day, just peddling his shit all day, walking around. And he came over to Carlina's booth, and he's chatting her up, like, hey, what you got? Starts, like, peeping in her pots. That is not sexual innuendo. He was actually looking in the pots of food. And he's like, what you got cooking, good looking? He didn't say that. He's like, what you got? Like, asking her all the questions. But he keeps kind of like eyeing her daughter, trying to, like, get her to come over there by him. All the things. And the daughter's just getting pretty uncomfortable. I don't want your knickknack, and I don't want your tallywhacker. So she tells her mom, Carlina, she's like, this is, he's trying to get me to go with him. Like, this is weird. I don't like this. Yada, yada, yada. And he's starting to leave the market. And so the mom's like, hold the phone. All these girls have been going missing. The same age as my daughter. This guy's weird. Trying to get her to go with him. I don't fucking like this. So Carlina starts chasing after him. Go Carlina. I know. She is like, mama's intuition. This is not good. My daughter's uncomfortable. I didn't like him from the jump. I'm chasing this motherfucker. So some of the other vendors 
join in and start chasing this guy down. They get to him and they're like, you fucking tried to kidnap my daughter. You kidnapped all these girls here. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm poor. Like, I'm trying to sell things. I'm just like y'all. And they're like, no, you're not. You're coming in with us. And so they like drag him back in and hold him down until police get there. Hell yeah. You know, you've heard it takes a village. Well, it takes a market. Mm -hmm. When the police get there. They bring him in, and he is not having any of it. He is not cooperative. He's like, fuck y'all, and not telling anything. So at this point, all the police know is that they have Pedro Lopez in their custody. And so they get one of their detectives to basically go undercover as Pedro's celly to see if they can, if he can get him to confess, you know, as an inmate. Well, the detective says, like his quote is, For 27 days I hardly slept, afraid I would be strangled in my bed, but I tricked Lopez into confessing. So eventually, Pedro Lopez spilled the beans. Like how he tricked him. He's not going to give us that. We have to pay for it. It's behind a paywall. He pretended that he was a rapist. Of course. The oldest trick in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he really tricked him right the detective was quoted saying that like once he started confessing it was beyond my wildest nightmares he told me everything so what he tell him picture the gif where the guy has like the curly black hair and he's like i'm listening and he's got the popcorn and he's like yes. shoveling it in his mouth that's me well he confessed to murdering 110 girls Later, he said that it was actually upwards of 240. Now, I can see it all over your face. You're very skeptical, right? Because we hear all these serial killers that are like, they confessed to 100 murders, but we think that it could be upwards of 400. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, even the police were like, okay, 240 people. Yeah, the fuck right. Right? Yeah. Well, he said, all right, I'll take you to the bodies. Okay. He took police to the grave sites of 53 girls. Fuck. Yeah. So the police were like, okay, well, here's 53. Yeah. But um, you said 110. We needed to acknowledge the 53. He said that he would take them to the to find the rest of the bodies. And so over a three-month period, the police went to 28 more sites, but they found no more bodies. But. Did they find clothes or anything? I'm not sure. Because the police think that them not finding the bodies were the result of scavenging from animals so i'm Mm. wondering if they found something in those sites at least some of them i mean do i think that animals scavenging predators took 50 plus other bodies no but i think that they found something yeah and he didn't bury them deep right police ended up at first charging him with 53 murders that of the bodies they found sidebar some stuff said 57 but They ended up charging him with an additional 110 because he gave detailed confessions. And so while they never found the bodies, they're like, well, 
here's his fucking confession. So yeah. we're going to take it at face value. Yeah. I mean, he pleaded guilty. Right. Right. But Ecuadorian law was not set up for a serial killer at the time. I don't know if it is now, but damn sure wasn't then. The maximum amount of time that he was allowed to be sentenced to was 16 years. Better than I thought. I thought you were going to say 10 years, but 16 fucking years. And because they couldn't sentence him, like they don't allow consecutive sentencing. So it had to be, it was 16 years for all 163 people. Like they were saying that it's not even per body that they found. It doesn't even, it's not even a year per body. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't even think it's a month per body. Well, you know, I can't do that. I can't do that math either. It may be, I don't know. Math is very hard. Well, whoa. Yeah. He spent all of his time while he was in prison in solitary confinement because the families of some of the victims took out a $25,000 bounty on him. And they were like, we got to keep him away from all the other prisoners and even some guards, too, because yeah. shit, $25,000, he killed 160-ish kids? Little girls. Yeah, everybody wants him to die. Yeah. And he's only sentenced to 16 years. I mean, people were up in arms about his sentence. They didn't even have to take a bounty out on him. Yeah, you're right. So he spent all his time in solitary confinement. And after 14 years, he was paroled for good behavior. How can you be bad when you are by yourself? you damn right. And you know, solitary confinement just fucked him up. More. Mm-hmm. 14 years. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, too. He literally said he was quoted because there was one journalist that they let come into the prison to interview him. His name was Ron Leitner. And he was he worked for the National Examiner. At this point, he had been in jail for 12 years. And he told old Ron, he said, look, the only way I will let you interview me is if the warden's daughter comes with you to the interview and I get to hold her hands. How old was the daughter? Well, she was 26. And so while they worked it out, She agreed, the warden agreed, everybody agreed to let her come, and there's pictures of him holding her hands. He says that, yeah, she's too old to interest me. Oh, fuck you. I told you you were going to die when I told you that part. Oh, my. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if he knew that he could only get 16 years. I don't think so, because he confessed to killing... 110 girls in Ecuador, uh, more than 100 girls in Colombia, and 100 in Peru. So, now, again, literally every single article you read says a different number. Some stuff says 400, some says 3, some says 340. Some stuff says they found 57 bodies instead of 53. I mean, honestly, the only number that really matters is the one that we, we can prove but I also think about, are there really that other, that many other girls missing? And if there are, think about all of those families that have 
no answers and never will have any answers. And no justice. Oh, no. Literally no one, even of the bodies that they found and they know for a fact he did, no one has justice. But wait, there's more. Oh, fuck. So in this interview, he says that, I'm just going to read some quotes. I lost my innocence at age nine, so I decided to do the same to as many young girls as I could. Which we know is the classic cycle of victim and abuser. He says, I like the girls in Ecuador. They are more gentle and trusting, more innocent. He is so disgusting. Mm -hmm. So he talked about how he would find girls. He, He would follow them. He said sometimes for two to three days. And he would offer them. He said, I would give her a pretty shining trinket, then get her to leave with me for the edge of town where I had promised to give her another trinket for her mother. Again, he killed them with their love. Yep. This is where it gets, I mean, this is all pretty heavy, but this is where it gets some of the heaviest. Oh, fuck. He talked about how he preferred a more like European look. Like he wanted specifically like, I think, little girls from Scotland And, like, he even talked about, in particular, how those were the harder girls to get because they were usually tourists, and so their families were more watchful over them, and that there were a couple of times that he followed girls and almost had them, but then their parents were right there, and you know. But then he said that when he did get them, he would, you know, keep them for as long as, you know, let's say he kidnapped them. At the end of the day or middle of the day or whatever, he would spend all of that time raping them through the night, but he would never kill them at night. He would wait, and I quote, I forced the girls into sex and put my hands around her throat. When the sun rose, I would strangle her. It was only good if I could see her eyes. So oh he my would, gosh. Mm-hmm, he would never kill them at night because he wanted to fucking look at their eyes when they died. Wow. And he only did 16 years. 14. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He did 14. Uh-huh. Then he said... And he did 14 on good behavior after this article came out. Uh-huh. He said that sometimes it would take anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes for the girls to die. Whoa. Here's the thing, too, is that he kidnapped a lot of little girls, like indigenous little girls. And and like you said before, like it's just such a fucking underserved population that nobody gave a fuck. And he's even quoted saying they never screamed because they didn't expect anything would happen. They were so innocent. Oh my gosh. And so for me, I took that as they were so innocent that they didn't actually think he was going to do anything bad. Mm-hmm. But also, I took it as no one would help. No him. one would help them. Nobody cared, and they and they knew that because that's the life they had led up until then. Yeah, the same life he did, like with the caring, where he mm-hmm. didn't feel like anyone would care about him, and he was a marginalized population too. Absolutely, when he was an orphan on the streets. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's like fuck you, dude. But again, it's that fucking cycle of abuse. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is where it gets. Well, 
my favorite word, bizarre. Oh, gosh. So when he would kidnap the girls, he would take them to these graves that he had already dug. And he would have three, four girls in one grave. And he would sit them up and have tea parties with them. What the Mad Hatter is going on here? Mm-hmm. And he said, and I quote, but after a while, because they couldn't move, I got bored and went out looking for new girls. It's like eating chicken. Why eat old chicken when you can have young chicken? What? First of all, that's a terrible That's not comparison. a good analogy. No, no, no. That doesn't make any fucking sense. But, um, I'm sorry, what? A tea party. That's even weird for me. Okay, so he talked a lot about how exciting the kill was, blah, blah, blah. We don't give a fuck. But this is a direct quote. Someday when I'm released, I will feel that moment again. I will be happy to kill again. It is my mission. That was two years before he was released. And they were like, good behavior. Then he says, they are releasing me on good behavior in 1998 or 1999. Like he knew they were releasing him. He knew. And he even said, I am going to kill again. This is my mission in life. And they still fucking released him. Well, January 1st, 1999, just after midnight, they took him from his cell, drove him out to the Colombian border, gave him some clothes, a bottle of water, a little bit of food, a couple of pesos, and said, boy, bye. And they had to do it like under the cover of night because they didn't want any of these family members knowing when he was getting released and coming and killing him. You know, the police didn't do anything about the bounty on his head because, I mean, they probably could give two shits. They did their due diligence to protect him, but they didn't go after the people that they basically knew had taken the bounty out on him. Yeah. The idea is that law enforcement in Colombia and Peru were going to charge him with the murders in those countries. Neither one of them had the funding. And... He was free. I feel like that should have been worked out in the uh, 14 years that he was in jail. Here's the thing. Nobody knows where he is now. No. He could be dead. He could be alive. Nobody fucking knows. Holy shit. I hate this story. Yep. How old would he be now? He was born in 48. 71? Two. Yeah, he'll be 72 Two this, this year. year. Yeah, not that old. I mean, Mm-mm. old, but not that old. Yeah. I don't think that he's still alive. I just have a feeling that someone recognized him, vigilante justice. I don't think he's alive. I do think that he continued to kill. It's who he was. There was, I couldn't find much on it, but there was a case in 2002 that he was linked to, I couldn't find much on it. So as of 2002, it was rumored that he was still alive. But like one article said, until we get a death certificate, we have no idea. But he, you know, if he was living on the streets or out in the country and nobody knew, I mean, he could have died in a cave or something, you know, and nobody ever fucking know. Who knows? So that's it. The worst ending ever. The shithead spent... Less than two decades in prison for killing that we know of 
53 kids. So, you know, we know that serial killers try to inflate their numbers. So while I think his are inflated, not as much as some. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Shitty story, right? Yep, and mine just gets shittier. Oh, shit. So in honor of Carrie going to New Orleans this month and doing the ghost tour and seeing the ghost and the orb, which I stand behind, even though none of none of the other people agree with me. Everyone's like, it's a reflection. It's a bug. Y'all are wrong. I definitely feel like the silhouette picture could go either way. Yeah, because someone said it looked like a reflection of a suit. And I was like, well, but no one would have a suit on in y'all's group. Yeah. But who knows? It looked like someone was like about to sit down and be like, cling, cling, cling on the champagne glass. But I am finally going to do the LaLaurie Mansion. However, I learned that I was a peasant and Carrie told me the correct pronunciation and it is La Lori. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm no longer a peasant. So, trigger warning, things going to get nasty. I am here for this story. But are you? Oh, yeah. He told me on the tour all about it. We know her as Madame LaLaurie. 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 Fuck. Already. Okay. Or Cruel Mistress of the Haunted House. Or America's First Serial Killer. Nah. Or... Just a sadistic bitch. Oh, yes. Yep. But she was born Marie Delphine McCarty on March 19th, 1787 in New Orleans. So I'm going to call her Delphine throughout this whole thing. Really? Yes. Because I like Delphine. And I call everyone by their first name. All my stories. Okay. Her family was originally from Ireland And she was the second generation to be born in America. Her family was very rich, very she-she, if you will. But flash forward to 1800, Delphine was 14. And at this time, the Spanish controlled Louisiana. Well, there was this high-ranking Spanish officer who her parents were whining and dining And we're basically like, ooh, look, a beautiful girl, Delphine. So Delphine and this officer start having a little sexual relationship, and then they get married. Well, he was supposed to get a blessing from the Spanish government, but it was taking a long time. And like I said, they were already having sex, so they were like, screw it, literally, let's just get married, because they're going to give you the... Blessing, you're a high-ranking officer, like, I'm she-she, like, (laughs) this is in the bag. Well, he did not get the blessing. So they had to go back to Madrid and plead with the government. This was, like, four years later, and by this time, they're expecting a baby. There are some events that are neither here nor there, but Delphine is waiting for him to get back from Madrid, and she's in Havana, And so he's coming back from Madrid to Havana. Ooh la la. (laughs) Okay, Camila Cabello. Pick her up and then they're going to New Orleans. She ends up having the baby. It's a girl. All good, but not good for her hubby. 
he dies on the voyage back to Havana. Oh, oh, no, no. (laughs) 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 So some people like to say that her first husband died of mysterious circumstances. And that leads you to believe that it's her doing. But she was literally giving birth at the time like screaming her head off in pain, probably wishing he was dead. Mm -hmm. Like, you did this to me. But like, it wasn't her doing. In 1808, she meets the man who's going to be her second husband. He's jack of all trades, apparently. A banker, a merchant, a lawyer, a legislator, and... A candlestick maker? Nope, a friend of a pirate. I'm sorry, what? Mm -hmm. A friend of a pirate. I mean, you buried the lead on that. I feel like that should be the first thing on his resume. (laughs) Well, he is said to have been a black market slave smuggler. And maybe that's why he was friends with the pirates. I don't know. Maybe. Well, her mother dies during this time, and she received a big lump sum of inheritance. And that included a plantation on the Mississippi River, 52 slaves, some livestock, etc., Then her father was like, oh, y'all make such a perfect couple. Here's another plantation. Here's a lot of property, like a lot, Mm -hmm. in town, 26 slaves. So all of this was like $2.2 million in today's money. Holy shit. Also, that's so fucked up that you can just like inherit people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also... Why do they have to be on, num- like, weird numbers? 52, 26, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Very weird. I know I get stuck on the weird shit, but that's me. Not caught up on the fact that she inherited people, but mm, it's the number of people. <laughs> I mean, I get that. That's bad. And so, yeah, $2.2 million. That's a freaking lot of money. But it's not like... Whoa, like, I mean, there's a lot more money to be had. However, she's in her 20s and has really done nothing Mm -hmm. to get this money. She's literally existed. So during their marriage, Delphine gave birth to four more children. But then in 1816, her second husband died as well. And he was 50. Again, not her fault, just bad fucking luck. And he was like a dirty politician, black market shit. I mean, come on. It was like Shady McShaderson. So, yeah. And some people point to him as like he taught her kind of like. Shady shit. Yeah. And just like slaves were less than property too. But she had grown up with slaves. So, I I don't know. But. But yeah, he was like... A shithead. Mm-hmm. Back to Delphine. She's now a widow, again, but now she has five fucking kids. Yeah, and $2.5 million. But that's of, like, shit. Yeah, well, sell off some of that shit. <laughs> well, you know what? She actually had to. Not of hers, but of some of her shady late husbands, because he was in debt Basically, $2 million worth when he died because of the shady deals he was doing. 
And so she was like, look, I had no idea about this. And they were like, okay, honestly, you probably wouldn't have because it's all like shady shit. Yeah. So they were able to let her like liquidate his his stuff and pay whatever she could, but it wasn't on her. But okay. So now in 1825, Louis Lollery graduated from the Sorbonne in Paris. And the only reason I know anything about that is from Anne with an E, because he wants to go to the Sorbonne. The cannibal that I did in one of the bonus episodes went there, too. Oh, shit. Then he left Paris, and then he landed in New Orleans. And in pretentious fashion, he introduced himself to New Orleans by placing an, like, basically an ad. Oh, Jesus. Mm -hmm. And this is what it said. A French physician has just arrived in the city who is acquainted with the means, lately discovered in France, of destroying haunches. Or hunches. Basically, people with humped backs. Yeah, like a cathodic posture. Mm -hmm. So he was like a chiropractor. So he was just out of college, trying to make a name for himself. And lo and behold, one of Delphine's daughters needed her back straightened. She goes to see him. Her daughter was not cured, but Delphine really wasn't bothered by that because she was gaga over Dr. McSteamy. Oh, and remember, he's a young and he's 25, and she's a cougar because she's 38 at the time. And so this is like a big deal because during this time, yeah, like a 50-year-old could be with a 14-year-old if it's a guy and a girl, mm -hmm. but heaven forbid an older lady mm -hmm. take on a, a younger guy. Gotta love a double standard. Mm-hmm. So they were friends. They were close. They did things. And... I mean, he worked on her daughter for a while and everything, but he ended up going back to France. However, his brother, who lived in New Orleans, persuaded him to return because he was like, dude, a doctor could have a good future here. Like, and you got a good thing going with your friend. She's got connections like cha-ching, cha-ching, get your thing back, flip it and reverse it. Meanwhile, he's like, Five kids. <laughs> well, but what no one knew was that babyface Louis had knocked up Delphine. Whoops. So really he's like, ooh, six kids. Uh-huh. So basically he's like, ah, oh, fuck. Well, gotta marry her. But it takes a minute because he's like, what do I do? Like, oh my gosh. So five months after the birth of their son, they got married on June 25th. 1825. So to the marriage, he brought $2,000. She brought... Three million? No, 66000 Like, cash. Like, oh, okay, okay. You okay. know, like, everything else is in assets. Yeah. And people. Ugh. In 1831, she purchased a two-story mansion at 1140 Royal Street in the French Quarter. And that's what we know as... The Lollery Mansion. And at the time, like, it was just a two-story mansion. But she added on the top, which was the slave quarters. It had a courtyard, you know, like, all the she-she shit. 
And it was Delphine, Louis, and two of her daughters that lived in the mansion, and then obviously their baby son. Louis wasn't really present in their marriage, like in the day to day. Like again, he was out popping backs. <laughs> like he was, you know, trying to do his own practice shit. And he left her to do her own shit. But they were known for their lavish parties. Mm-hmm. And Delphine was known for her beauty and all the formal socialite shit, which is so funny. Like, I always just picture her as Kathy Kathy Bates. Bates. Me too. And, like, everyone's like, her beauty is, like, non-comparable. And I'm like, I mean, Kathy Bates isn't bad, but, like, what? And so then in my head, all I can picture is fried green tomatoes, her wearing the cellophane Mm -hmm. thing. And I'm like... But, like, it being, like, bustled out or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Soon, word on the street was that the marriage was not a happy one. Neighbors would overhear them arguing. One source said that Louis packed his bags and he moved out in 1834. However, you'll hear later that he was there the night of a big incident. So... I don't know. I think he probably moved out and then back and around the corner, all that shit, because they were toxic together. Yeah, but also, are you surprised? They were basically forced to marry because she was pregnant. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was using her for connections and money, and he was probably like, she'll probably die soon, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because by this time, her oldest daughter had, like, two kids of her own. Yeah, well, she was 38 when she got pregnant with his kid. Yeah, so, I mean, he's 25, and she's a grandmother. You know, like, it's just two different worlds. Like, he Mm -hmm. just got out of college. He's spent his whole life right now in college. Sounds familiar. (laughs) So, it's like, I don't know. And she probably just wanted a companion. For her golden years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But also... Probably because back then it was still a man's world. You know, even though it was all her money and her family's wealth and all of that, it didn't mean anything if she didn't have a husband. Right. Well, losing Louis reportedly pushed her over the edge. And that is when she just went mad. Losing him. Like when he moved moved out. out. Okay, go ahead. That's when the rumors started to spread that she was harming her slaves. But this news was shocking to people around her because Delphine was so polite to her slaves in public. And she even released two of them, like freed them, one in 1819 and one in 1832. Jean-Louis was in 1819 and it was actually with her second husband's wishes So, it wasn't actually her releasing him, but also it probably was guilt out of her second husband. He, you know what I mean? He was doing dirty deeds. I don't even know. You know what I mean? So, it's like, she's using these as her, like, but I've done this. And it's like, that doesn't even count. Hmm. And also, people, if people are super nice and they go above and beyond in public, let's just know that that's not how they are in private. Mm-hmm. 
That's for damn sure. But, okay, back to the rumors. Again, they kept spreading and everyone's like, look, her mistreatment of her slaves, it's crazy. And New Orleans had laws and most Southern states did not have laws at the time, but their laws protected the slaves from cruel punishments. I mean, not a lot, but a little. It was something. Pretty progressive for the time, at the very least. Yeah. Well, and it had where, like, you couldn't split up families and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, all of this started to pile up, and they couldn't ignore it anymore. And so an official investigation happened in 1832. There was a local attorney who was sent to the mansion to investigate, and he found nothing wrong. He said everything looked great. He had a fun time with her. She was super nice. Every, you know, like everything was on the up and up. But that wasn't the truth. Dun, dun, dun. Far from it, actually. Delphine was really cruel. She would basically starve them. And if her daughters tried to help the slaves in any way, even giving them scraps from dinner, anything, she would punish and whip them. There is a man who was super scared of punishment. I mean, he had been punished, but he was super scared of going up to the attic that he threw himself out of a third-story window. Basically, he died by suicide rather than the chance of living, staying there, and going up to the third story where no one seemed to come down from. And so what they did was they cemented that window shut, and it's still visible today. The other report concerned a 12-year-old girl who was also a slave, and her name was Leah. And in one story, I found her name was Nina, but everything else called her Leah. Well, she was tending to Delphine, and she was brushing her hair, And she pulled a little too hard, got a little, you know, snag. And, I mean, she was tenderheaded, I guess. Mm. I don't know. But what, like, one, I can only imagine. Because I know brushing out anyone's hair, I am trying to be super soft and gentle. And can you imagine someone's hair back in the day? Mm Mm-mm. Nope. And can you imagine doing that, seeing a whip, a bull whip, sitting on the dresser, knowing that if you mess up, you're going to get fucking slashes? No, that, like, you're fucking constantly living in fear, which causes more errors. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's exactly what happened. And when she did it, she was like, and, like, dropped everything and... Ran. Well, so Delphine is running behind her with the whip, chasing her. She's going, she's going. And one story said that, like, she tried to go out the window that that man had jumped out of, but it Mm -hmm. was cemented shut. So she had to keep going, keep going. And she got all the way up to the top on the roof, basically. And it's like, okay, I either jumped to my death. Or I'm going to be punished severely. And so she did. She died by suicide. Mm. 
Well, then witnesses saw Delphine burying the girl and they told police. And of course, she was doing it at night, you know, all the things, which we know that Delphine would be, would not be the one to do this. She would make other slaves do it and yeah, be like, for sure. this is what's going to happen if you do it, blah, 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 all the things. Well, the police were forced to find her $300 and they were like, all right, look, this can't go unnoticed. All the things, you have to get rid of nine of your slaves. Damn. However, those nine slaves did not find the salvation that they were probably hoping they would because Delphine plotted and got one of her relatives to buy them back so she had them back. Can you imagine the heartbreak? Can you imagine the money that these people have? See, I am not focused on the wrong thing here. You're focused on the wrong thing now. If it has to do with money, that's what I'm focused on. (laughs) So now there's been more eyewitnesses. Rumors are flying all about. But everything came to a head on April 10th, 1834. And that's when a fire broke out in the kitchen of the LaLaurie Mansion. Allegedly, a 70-year-old slave woman started the fire on purpose. She had been chained to the stove as a punishment, and she was the cook. So she confessed everything. She was like, look, it was one of two things, and I don't care which it was. It was either to bring to light what I'm going through, what my fellow slaves are going through, and what we're forced to live into, or to die by suicide. Mm. I just can't live in these conditions anymore. And she also knew, like, okay, I'm being punished and I've been months chained to this, can't move, can't eat, can't do all of the things. The next step is for me to go to the attic, the third floor, and people who go upstairs, they don't come back. Mm. So while the fire is blazing, people can hear screaming and stuff, and it isn't the LaLaurie family doing it. So they're like, where are your slaves? Are they safe? And Delphine is like, just help us get the valuables. So like she's trying to get fur because obviously those are worth so much more than a human life. Mm -hmm. So people are like, well, let's go upstairs and try to help the slaves because if they're not like oh my gosh so they go upstairs the door's locked and these are all just neighbors right now because the fire people haven't the fire people what the firemen haven't got there yet and there just happened to be a judge there question mark and he was like hey we need to get in this room where's the key and here's that account that i'm saying that louis was there Mm mm-hmm Allegedly, Louis responded kind of deadpan that, quote, some people had better stay at home rather than come to others' houses to dictate laws and meddle with other people's business. Wow. But then the firemen finally get there and they just knock the fucking door down. And that's when they saw the gruesome sight that they would never be able to forget. Dun, dun, dun. There were reports of at least seven slaves who were starved, tortured, and chained. 
Some were hanging by their necks with iron spiked collars on. So they couldn't move their head. Like they couldn't lay down. They couldn't do anything. Oh my God. That sounds terrible. And their limbs were super stretched. Like. Like Stretch Armstrong? Mm-hmm, like barely attached. Oh God. One woman had her bones broken numerous times and then set back in an unnatural position. And so they were like kind of articulated and like crooked and bent and everything. And she was known as the crab lady because when she would walk, it would resemble a crab. Another slave supposedly had a hole drilled into his head with a wooden spoon sticking out. And it was to stir the brains inside. And it had maggots crawling out of the hole in his brain where the sight had festered and everything. On that ghost tour, he said that, that because he had maggots, that's actually why he lived, was because they were cleaning out the infection. Mmm. Isn't that gross? But also really freaking cool. Mmm. Then a woman had her intestines removed around her body, mm-hmm. wrapped around her, like her waist. Others were covered with honey and black ants, much like your indigenous custom in your story. Mm. Oh, God, that would be horrible. And some were found dead, but their bodies were full of scars, full of marks. They were emaciated. Tortured. Yeah. And so it wasn't an easy death. It wasn't fast. It was slow and painful. They were just lucky that they had died and they weren't still being tortured. Mm -hmm. Then there were even worse reports That said, some had their eyes gouged out. Some had their eyes sewn shut. Some had their mouths filled with animal fecal matter and then sewn shut. Could you fucking imagine? Also, though, how do you know that? Just think about, though, if that's that part really is true. So... All they wanted to do was throw up. Oh, yeah. But you can't. No. Which makes you throw up more. What the human caterpillar's going on here? Funny I should say that, though. Hold on. I was about to say, actually. There was a woman who was in a cage, but she was too big for it. So her bones were broken so she would fit in it. I mean. If that fits, that sits. But here's the thing. I mean, she's got the cage. Should she really have to go buy another cage? Right. Oh, God, that's terrible. I mean, she doesn't have the money for it. She has to get that new fur. Ew. Oh. She has to get those boots with the fur. Okay, so here's the human caterpillar. So there was a woman, and she was found with her skin peeled back in a circular pattern, and it was to look like a human caterpillar. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? I thought a human caterpillar... Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I meant the other way for that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, but I mean, like, this is, like, spirals and stuff. Like, the rings, uh-huh. you know? But, like, what? Who thinks of that? Like, why would you be like, 
this is what I'm going to do. Like, a human caterpillar that way? Ooh. That don't make no sense. So the slaves who were alive, they were carried to the city jail, basically, where they received medical treatment, food, drink, all the things. However, which I don't understand, they said nearly 4,000 people who lived in in New Orleans, around New Orleans, all surrounding areas who heard about these people came to view them in some macabre fashion because they were to see, like, see the damage and see the torment that they were put through. Mm, I don't know. But two of the slaves that were found alive, they were in such weak condition that when they were given food and stuff, they threw up. They Their bodies could not handle the nourishment and they passed. Could you imagine making it through all of that? And then when you're saved and you're finally... Like you the rescue kills you. Well, and I wonder how much of that is because you, like the adrenaline's gone mm-hmm. and it's finally, you you do, you relax. And yeah. so your body goes, I'm tired. Yeah. When I was on that tour though, they talked about how they took them to the jail. Cause I mean, of course you're like, why didn't they go straight to the hospital? But they said that they took them to the jail because it was like the centralized location so that again, people could come and see them because I mean, duh, but they didn't have TVs and all that, you know? So it was like really the only way for people to to see and believe that it truly did happen. And so that that's why they brought them there. Much like how in World War II, they made them take pictures of all the stuff with the Nazis too, the concentration camps and stuff. Cause they were like, one day people aren't going to believe this actually happened. And then there are people who don't believe some of the concentration camps existed. Uh-huh. And I'm like, fuck you. Fuck you. Right. So, I mean, I can see that logic. Because, you know, anytime there's like a, is that real or not? There's always some sort of logic where you're like, oh, yeah, I can see that happening. Well, the neighbors and some other people, they basically formed a mob and attacked the LaLaurie Mansion, which was now empty. They ransacked it. They stripped the interior of all of its valuables that Delphine could not carry. And they basically just dismantled the whole house. And all that was left was like just the walls. Damn. Well, for several weeks after all of this, there were officials on the property and everything. And they were going through the entire estate And they even started digging in the yard because, again, eyewitnesses said that Leo was buried in the yard, blah, blah, blah. Well, they exhumed several human remains, and they said one of a child. Oh, no. So soon, publications were coming out, and so details of the fire and all of the atrocities and everything. So, Madame... LaLaurie was being dubbed a monster, a demon in the shape of a woman, and Fury itself escaped from hell. Damn. So, what happened to Delphine? The facts are really still unknown, but while everything was going on, the fire, all the 
all the chaos, her and her family just kind of noped out. Mm-hmm. They carried what valuables they could. They fled to the waterfront, and we know they stopped in Mandeville because they signed over power of attorney. And I think it was to two of their sons. And then from there, they're thought to have went to Mobile, Alabama, and then from there to Paris. However, there's really no concrete evidence that she ever made it to Paris. Her daughter, sorry, one of her daughters claimed that she had received letters from her, but no one ever saw the physical copies of the letters or anything. And then in the late 1930s, someone had found like this old cracked copper plate in the St. Louis Cemetery, like number one. And it had Lollerie, comma, Madame Dauphine McCarty, which obviously was mm-hmm. her maiden name. It was in French, and it said that she died in Paris on December 7th, 1842. However, in Paris, there's records that said that she died in 1849. Hmm. So, I don't know, but some people believe that she made it to Paris, then came back over to New Orleans under a new name and continued doing what she did. But most people say to this day, the body of Madame Lollery has never been found. Wow. Okay, we have more. The newspaper that really pushed about the slaves being tortured and that they were part of medical experiments all and all of that was the New Orleans Bee. There, back in 1830s, they would be likened to the National Enquirer today. Okay. So they're like, eh, eh. most of them say that it's all based on hearsay. And so it's like a big game of telephone. So it's like, I heard that mm-hmm. they were doing this and blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, oh, yeah, that's sensational. Right. You know, and right. so it's like, okay. And it's like, okay, here's the thing. Why do you have to make it sound worse than it is? Because it's still fucking bad. Yeah. It's like she was a really mean person. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to make up anything else. Like she starved her slaves. Mm-hmm. You know, like she punished people from being nice to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like all of that is terrible in itself. So you don't have to make up that. Because... There were things that, like, she had switched male genitalia onto a female, female's breast onto a male, you know, medical experiments. And then they said that her husband might have been involved in that. But again, that seems to be very fabricated. But, like, why? What? I mean, yes, it's sensational. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, all of the other things... Was plenty. It's really bad. Really bad. Also, their informant was a neighbor who lived right next door to them. But he had made several advances toward Delphine over the years Mm. and was denied every time. And so he had a bad grudge and he was known throughout the like social community as like, 
really like hating her. Like every time someone would bring up like, oh, did you see what Delphine was wearing? He's like, did you see the blah, blah, blah? You know, like always being like that fucking incel mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like. Yes, exactly. Oh. So if he's their informant, how much is it true? You know? Yeah. So I say that. But then in a Sunday magazine section of the New Orleans Times-Picayune in 1934, a lot of this was pretty much like bullet pointed out by Meigs Frost. And he said that a lot of this about the slaves being experimented on and mutilation and all of that was a smear campaign. And it was by the neighbor that I was talking about. However, that Frost guy, he went on to say, her indulgence of her slaves was well told by friends. She would hand half-empty wine glasses at dinner to the slave who waited behind her chair, insisting that they drink it. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Like, this person seemed to candy coat everything Mm -hmm. way too much. And it's like, okay. Also, if she insisted that they drink it, are they going to be punished if they didn't drink it? Exactly. And, I mean, neither extreme is probably correct. No. It's somewhere in the middle, as mm-hmm. always. But it's like, okay, so who was paying you to write this then? Or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, what are you getting out of this? I don't know. So, like I say, like you just said. Mm, but Oh, and he also went on to say that Leah, that whole thing was fabricated and that she... She actually died because she was sliding down a curving banister and was killed by the marble hallway floor. Like, she was mm. sliding down and obviously, like, couldn't stop. And <sighs> however, who knows? Because, again, it goes from she accidentally, you know, brushed a, a rat's nest out of her hair. You know, like, hit that one spot and she was like, how did it and yeah. chases her, and then she dies by suicide, to, oh, she was playing on the banister, going, you know, like, all of this lollygagging around, mm-hmm. and she died by an accident. You know, it's like, again, those are two extremes. Where is it? Because... Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know. Also, Harriet... Martineau, she was a very prominent 19th century English writer, and she visited in 1833 to New Orleans, and she was told about Leah from a quote-unquote witness. And when she wrote about Leah, that was like the first time that anything had been published with Leah, and there was no slaves owned by her under that name. However, like we've talked about before, people, again, exchange slaves and might not have updated their shed. Mm-hmm. Hell, her second husband was a black market smuggler. Like, who knows what happened? So, you know how we were talking about in your story where you kind of want to know, like, about the the killer's past and you try to reason with them and, like, Okay, this is what makes them this way. Mm-hmm. People kind of did this to Delphine, and they said, hey, her mom and dad were actually killed by slaves, 
And that's why like she turned on them and all of this, but they weren't. They weren't even killed on the same day. Like they weren't killed. They died naturally. And so that was just something made up to, again, sensationalize the story to this happened and it triggered her and this vengeance came up and that's why she did this, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not true. However, basically all of her male relatives, including her father, had mistresses who were free women of color. She even had half-sisters who were mixed. Okay. But they did not shun her half-sister or anything. Like, they welcomed her into the family. Like, there was no ill will Mm -hmm. or anything. But, I mean, that could cause something. You know, hell, maybe if she... This is me just being completely, like, allegedly. I don't know. But if she was having trouble with LaLaurie... And maybe she was like, he's just going to do it like everyone else did and whatever. Maybe she went mad on that. And that's when she started doing like the extreme stuff. I don't know. Because like we've said, it can take one thing and it snaps and there you go. Like how he said in jail that one time he was like, never again. And then he went on his rampage. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It doesn't make it right at all. They're both terrible people. However, a lot of people said that the exaggerated stories about the missing skin, that that human caterpillar, Mm -hmm. and the one with the head with it drilled with the hole and the spoon and the maggots and Mm -hmm. all of that, it was like grossly over-exaggerated and they didn't even show up until like the 1940s. Oh, shit. And so it's like, again, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like, she wasn't relevant anymore. And in a way to drum up the mystique of New Orleans, the the culture, the every, you know, all of the things to remember how badly slaves were treated, they exaggerated it. I mean, it's not hard to believe that someone would do it because people treated them terribly. But almost immediately, the Lollery Mansion, there were ghostly moans and screams coming out of an empty mansion. It was literally just walls Mm -hmm. and ransacked. I wonder if the sounds that people heard were from people who are homeless living in there. No. Oh. Reason I know that. Portals to Hell on the Travel Channel. We watch it sometimes on uh, the watch party. Yeah. They're like the first paranormal team to go in there. Because, like, no one goes inside. Yeah. I mean, hell, like they said, American Horror Story couldn't even get, like, the rights to film there. Yeah. They filmed at the, like, the building literally that, like, joined it. Yeah. Well, they were talking to a guy named Sidney Smith, and he's the owner of Haunted History Tours in New Orleans. And he said, decades later, when it was being renovated, the carpenters were pulling up floorboards and stuff, and they found bodies on top of bodies. And there were slaves who were buried alive. So the screams and the chains, it wasn't ghosts. It was people who were buried alive. But how long after 
she went away and all that were those voices and stuff heard. Like soon after, like immediately after. Oh, my God. Wait. So how when the police were in there and all of that, did they not hear them? I don't know. Mm, I don't believe that then. I don't know. Because the police, I mean, like you even said, like how they were like going over the estate and all of that. Like mm-hmm. I, if, if that was the case, they would have heard them. I would think so too, but I don't know. Because I don't know what the police were using if it was like, like machine wise, if they were like doing stuff to dig, like, I don't know, because these slaves had their mouths sewn shut. But again, if it was enough that people outside of the building heard it, then it stands to reason that when the police first get there and they're like, oh, well, let me hook up my jackhammer. Like there's some downtime without equipment running. Yeah. If people outside could hear them, then they would have been able to hear them inside. I am just saying this was in several different things, but I did not find a newspaper article, but I can look before we put this up and I will see if I can find a news article saying that, hey, there were bodies found in the floorboards. Yeah. Well, owner after owner would find nothing but financial or personal ruin and they wouldn't last but a few years by the 1870s the mansion was split up into apartments and a lot of immigrant dock workers and their families lived there and of course children are more in tune with the spirit world Mm -hmm. and so they began to hear moans and disembodied screams they smelled burning human flesh And they heard the dragging of chains. And they also heard scratching noises underneath the floorboards. Mm. The children would tell their parents, like, hey, we hear this. Hey, we can't sleep. Hey. And they're like, whatever, go to bed. Your kids, whatever. Blah. Well, everything changed when the dad was coming home late from work. And he was going up the stairs And it was blocked by a large black man who was bound in chains. Well, he screamed at the man and the man didn't move. (gasps) So he was like, fuck this. Had his hands out. Both of them was going to push the figure out of his way. But his hands passed right through. Mm -mm, Don't like that. Mm -mm. And just like that, the spirit was gone like a fart in the wind. Nope. Don't like that. Well, by morning, that whole family was out. And I'm like, your kids were trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. In 1894, there was a tenant, again, in the apartments, and he was found brutally murdered in his room. His belongings were ransacked, but there was nothing found missing. So it wasn't a robbery. So the police were interviewing his neighbors, friends, Everyone that they can think of. Well, one of his neighbors, who was also his friend, claimed that he was having a problem with sprites in his house. And his friend was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. You know? But he was like, you know, though, he also did say he saw a demon and it was in his house. And the demon said he wasn't going to rest until he had met his end. I'm sorry, what? Mm Mm-hmm. And so he kind of did. 
What? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is people who spend the night in the home, like not obviously not currently, but at the times when there were apartments and mm-hmm. everything before, they said like if they got up to walk like, to the bathroom or whatever, they would find a woman with long red hair just watching them sleep. Also, people have seen her on the streets below, and they say that, like, that person just stares right through them. And so they think that is the spirit of Delphine, and she's, you know, like, she's back. So after the apartments, it was mid to late 19th century. For, like, a short time, it was an all-girls African-American primary school. Well, soon after opening... Reports of physical assaults started happening. Mm. And the young girls told their teachers, like, hey, like, something's happening. Like, they would be crying. And so they would roll up their sleeves and show their forearms, and they would be scratched and bruised. Mm. And the teachers were like, who did this to you? And their answer would always be, that woman. Oh, God. Then back to Portals to Hell, there was a lady that they interviewed, Annie, and she lived there in the 1960s, and it was in an apartment, and she said that her family had not heard it was haunted, but like the day that they moved in, that night, their beds were pushed up on the wall while they were like tossed in the middle of the room, and then she would hear screaming at night. She begged her father to let them sleep with the light on and he finally was like all right keep the lights on Mm -hmm. one evening she was outside and she looked up and she saw this african-american little girl just sitting on the corner of the rooftop with her legs dangling and she said that that sight still haunts her and never left her because now she knows the stories and so i think she puts it with leah oh Yeah, so she said she went back 20 years later because she wanted to make peace with the house, and she thought, like, maybe I could get over everything, and she said that she was knocked down. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, about 10 minutes after doing this interview, she was down with one of their producers. She almost collapsed. She was emotionally drained. On Portals to Hell, they had some... Weird experiences. Jack was, like, beyond scared at some points. Of course, they were inconclusive if if it was a portal to hell. I feel like they're always inconclusive. I don't know. But he was like, something's definitely there. And it seemed to be intelligent. They talked through knocking with it. And the SLS cam picked up a spirit in a chair. And what the SLS cam thing is, if you don't know, it's like, where they look like stick figure robots. I was just about to ask that. Is that the one with the stick figures? <laughs> yes. And it was originally for video games and stuff like that. So it knows if it's a chair, like it's not a person. So it wouldn't map it. But it's like mapping someone as a person in a chair. Well, then Katrina went and stood by it. It mapped her. And then it mapped the person right beside her again. And so it was like, whoa. I mean, like, I don't know. They were just getting intelligent responses back. 
and stuff. And then like Jack had a whisper in his ear or like a blow in his ear and stuff. So all kinds of things. It was a good episode. I would definitely suggest it. One of the local tours, it's called Ghost City Tours. And they said that one of their local guides was lucky enough to experience something because they're not allowed to go in. No one's allowed, like we've said, to go in. So they were standing directly across from the front door. And to their right, another group was like talking about the Lollery Mansion, like 50 feet away. Well, all of a sudden, their guide felt a tug on her messenger bag, Mm-mm. which was draped over her shoulder. So she stopped her story and kind of looked over her shoulder, you know. She thought, like, someone's trying to pickpocket me and, like, I'm doing my fucking job. Mm-hmm. You know? No one's there. So she turned back around, got back in her character, and she's going at it. And, he, like, not 10 seconds later, another fucking tug again, but harder this time, like a yank. And so once again, she turns around, no one's there. But so this time she goes back to her people and she's like, this, like, this is what just happened. And so they're like, whoa. Because, you know, they're probably like, what is going on with this girl? Mm-hmm. But like, she's legit, like, having an experience. Well, two weeks later, another guide was out on the streets again. And they were, of course, at the Lollery Mansion. And she had him positioned underneath a street lamp. And it had been burnt out for, like, weeks. Well, she was going in to the whole story about Leah. And the moment she said Leah's name, the lamps flickered on. Wow. And so everyone in the group was like, (gasps) you know? Yeah. Well, then she went on again and she said the name again. And those lamps blew out. What? Yeah. And it's like, whoa. Sound familiar? Not blowing out, but my bulbs go out all the time here. True. I saw another owner, it said he spent his, like, the last days of his life in an asylum. Another one slipped into a coma after a bar fight. Mm. And then, of course, Nicolas Cage purchased right after Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. But then, just a few years later, he lost the home because of bankruptcy. And then his career was <laughs> gone like a fart in the wind right after. And so, a lot of People were like, that's the curse of the LaLaurie Mansion. And, you know, like, it's continuing. So, as of today, currently, it's privately owned by someone from Texas who's, like, in the oil and gas industry. Okay. Very private, you know. Again, but if you happen to listen to this and you want to let us in, please let us in. Yes, this is in Pisa. Can I have some more? <laughs> and that is the story. Man, I love that story. I really do believe that, maybe not to the extreme, like you said, but I definitely believe that more was going on than just her starving them and, you know, mm-hmm. that stuff. I mean, which is bad enough as it is. Oh, but yeah. I definitely think there was more going on. I definitely believe that they were chained up. They had, like, that collar stuff on, you know, mm-hmm. like... Very BDSM. Yes. But, oh, also, there's several books out there that are about white women being very abusive 
to slaves because it's a misconception of, oh, the wives of the slave owners, they were nice. They, you know, like mm-hmm. basically coddled the slaves if they could because their husbands were mean and all of that. But no, they were just as bad, if not worse. So like, though that she was bad, it really wasn't like she was on the bad end of the spectrum, but it really wasn't that odd either because honestly to me i feel like the wives were like that and not all of them i'm saying you know like they i mean these people who wrote these books have experiences with these people however like i feel like some of these people the wives who are like that probably that's the only power they felt and so that's why they did it not saying that's right but it's kind of like that trickle down uh-huh. of abuse, you know, like yep. I get pushed around. I don't have rights. I don't do this, but I do get to do this. I mean, it's like, honestly, it's like if you have three kids, like the oldest one gets to pick on all of them. Mm-hmm. The middle one at least gets to pick on the youngest one and the youngest one's fucked. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I'm not saying it's right. And not everyone was like that, but that point of history was really bad and it should never be like that. Unfortunately, there are still problems with slavery, sex slaves, all of the things Mm. right now. So, I mean, yes, she's a vile monster, despicable, but also there were several other of her, just not to the extent. Okay. You know, like, I mean, it is what it is, and that's our history, and we cannot go back. We have to know this stuff so we don't go back, y'all. And if you hear this story and you're like, who would treat people like that? There's people like Carrie's serial killer who treats people like this. Mm-hmm. Toy Box Killer, BTK, all of these people. But here's the thing. Even these awful serial killers and stuff that we know the things that they did, it still gets sensationalized and all now. I mean, Mm -hmm. just like my guy, you know, saying like, okay, well, he had 300 plus kills. Well, it's like, we know we found 53 slash 57 because every source had a different number, but we know for sure he led them to that. Mm -hmm. Which is terrible. Horrible. 53 bodies. So, while we know he did that, they're like, it could be upwards of 300, you know, and it's like, there's that's it's like that for so many mm-hmm. serial killers where it's like, they may have killed 145 people. And it's like, well, we have two bodies. So, let's focus on those. Yeah. Because while we want, if they really did kill all of those people, we want those cold case solved. But we also have to address the ones at hand. Yeah. And know when someone is wanting to be notorious. Yes. that That's something that's so hard. Us being on a podcast talking about these people. Mm-hmm. Because we are giving them that notoriety. But also it's like an educational thing too. Mm-hmm. But also entertainment. But it's like not entertainment in the same way as... Other things, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's such a hard, hard, thin line. And I'm not good at balancing, y'all. 
Well, y'all tell us what y'all think, as always. I know we always say that, but we really do want to know what y'all think. Thank y'all so freaking much for listening. Don't forget to review, subscribe, like, share, all of those things. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.